we are in a discussion on conflict. The greater series title is in light of the day, in light of Jesus' return, which is kind of what's happening in Romans 13 and 14 and in 15. Paul's looking forward. Why do we live like Jesus now? Because there is a day coming. And where we have been is this section in Romans chapter 14, which talks about how we handle uh, life when we're not getting along. Conflict. Even amongst the closest friends, relatives, coworkers, business partners, there are going to come moments in life where you just don't agree. And it could show up in a classroom. It shows up in every boardroom. And it could show up in a locker room if you're on a team. Conflict. Sometimes one person thinks there's right and the other person thinks they're right and they don't agree. And what we've seen so far is often it's the small stuff. It's usually not something huge. It's small irritations that rubs like sandpaper, you know, just rub, 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 and finally put a little bit of light sandpaper. Don't do this at home, kids. And, and, and eventually it'll start to break the skin, right? And small things over time can become a big thing. So what do we do? How do we work towards our disagreements and bring unity when there seems to be a breakdown or even chaos or even a breakup? How do we avoid that as Jesus' people? Well, we've been looking in Romans 14. Remember, there's two sides to every argument. And so Paul looks at both. Here he calls them the weak and the strong or the majority and the minority. If you're in a class or you're on the job or you're in whatever you're in, there's usually going to be two groups and one feels like they're the majority. They're in the right or more people agree with them. And then there's the minority group uh, or the group that takes a different look at it. And what Paul does is he looks at both of those groups. He is in what, what's known as the majority group. He is one of the strong. And, and the issue he talks about is food. This isn't an issue for us. I'll bring up an issue in a minute for us. But in, how, what should we eat or shouldn't eat as Jesus' followers? And so the majority group said, eat what you want. Jesus died and rose again to set us free. We're not caught up in the Jewish dietary laws of centuries ago. And then there was another group, the minority group, that did come from a Jewish tradition, said, wait a minute, Jesus ate kosher. Jesus avoided certain meats. And in light of Jesus, we should follow the Jesus way. So who is, who is right? More importantly, how do we keep unity in our real differences? I'll, I'll use an example because, again, food isn't our issue. Let's talk about gun control. Can you love Jesus and be a member of the NRA. Somebody said, can you love Jesus and not be a member of the NRA? And, and, and where, 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 where should Jesus' people be? Again, for us, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not food sacrificed to idols. It's real issues. There are protests that went on all this weekend about stopping the violence. Now, I know enough of you, and I know where you stand on the issue, so afterwards there's going to be a wrestling match. It's going to be amazing. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. What's my opinion? Who cares? It's only an opinion. I, I don't even need to bring it up. Here's what we've learned so far, and I want to recap, and then we're going to build on the how. We talked about what we should do. When we're in conflict, what should we do? We should accept one another and extend grace to one another. If you're in conflict with another Jesus follower, Again, disclaimer, this is not always going to be precise when it's you and someone who doesn't follow Jesus because you're not on the same foundation. But if you follow Jesus, you accept that as you bring friendship, 
literally accept is to invite into your home to become a friend. I don't push you away because you don't agree with me on an issue that isn't primary. And I extend grace. Even if I disagree with you, I'm going to try to see your side, which is very hard, especially on the issue of gun control, right? It's hard to see the other side. But I'm going to try. Here's why. We looked at three reasons why we should live this way last week. First is we belong to Jesus. We don't just belong to ourselves. And because of Jesus, we don't have to agree on the secondary issues. We don't have to. But in the end, the way I treat you matters because we're going to give an account to God. God is the one who has the right to judge. And so in the end, I'm going to give an account to God. You're going to give an account to God. And if we're both going to stand before the judgment seat of God, what I can do is I could treat you with grace and mercy because guess what? I want grace and mercy. Now, these are about the secondary issues, not the primary issue. Is the Bible the word of God? Is Jesus the son of God? Is salvation uh, through faith in Jesus alone? Those are the ones where we say, like, if someone disagrees, I respectfully say, you're wrong. And here we cannot be in the same fellowship around the same bread and the same cup if you say Jesus is just a teacher. I think, I think the Bible is really clear on that. But on secondary issues like gun control or other hot topic uh, situations in our culture, I'm going to extend grace. Now I want to move towards how. We lo looked at what, what do we do, and we looked at why. Today and the week after Easter, I want to look at how we can take practical skill sets and apply them to our disagreements. How do I take steps towards peace when we don't get along? Well, we're going to look at the Bible first, which is smart, and then try to apply it. So verse 12, Romans uh, 14 Verse 12 uh, is where we ended. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That's why I give grace, right? Verse 13, therefore, in light of the fact that I'm going to give an account to God, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind, decide now, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister, so how, how do I move forward? I decide before the argument or the discussion begins. If you're a brother or sister, I am not going to try to trip you up. I'm not going to try to pull you down. I'm not going to try to hurt you. I, I am going to be a peacemaker. Why? I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. He gets back to this food discussion. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. So if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. So here's what he gets to. There's going to be the weak and the strong. There's going to be the majority and the minority. There's going to be two different groups in any discussion. He speaks to both. First he says, I'm in the majority group. I think you can eat whatever you want. But then he says, at the same token, don't destroy your brother or sister for whom Jesus died. Don't make this a big issue that's going to be a stumbling block for them. In other words, the response, the right response is to show love. Which means it's not just about being right. And what we want to make disagreements about is who's right and who's wrong. And, and we want to be in the right, all of us. And so Paul says, the Spirit of God says to us, 
in moments of conflict with another brother or sister, it's not about just being right. Although Paul says, I'm right. But it's wrong for me to use this freedom if it's going to pull you down. So the way of Jesus is the way of love. Verse 17 is critical to this chapter and a half. So it's the one, if you look at one verse that summarizes all of it. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about secondary stuff. But of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Jesus in this way is pleasing to God and, and receives human approval. We belong to Jesus. We have God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit has brought us into rightness with God. The Holy Spirit is joy. The Holy Spirit is peace. And if you have the Holy Spirit and Jesus died and rose again for you, what we're celebrating next, next Sunday, that the resurrection changes the way that we live, if the kingdom of God, if the plan of God is that we would go from outsiders to insiders, if we go from far from God to close to God, if, if Jesus' work, his entire plan, is to bring us out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life, then why in the world would I make the secondary issue the major thing? Why would I disrupt peace? Why would I, why would I destroy joy? Why would I create tension that gets us out of rightness with God and one another? Why go against what Jesus is doing? Now, this is going to be hard on secondary issues because opinions matter. And let's not kid ourselves. Your opinion is the most important opinion to you and your mother. <laughs> That's, but we make, the, we make the small things the big thing. And what he says to the whole church, I'm in this camp. This other camp doesn't agree. But frankly, the way of Jesus is the way of love. So let's be about righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Don't crush the good thing God's doing just to win your point. Now verse 19. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. This is the majority argument, by the way. They say you could eat whatever you want. But it's wrong. For a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So you could feel free, but it's wrong for you to use your freedom to pull them down. It's better. Here's the word to, to, to both groups. It's better not. It's better not eat meat or drink wine or do some, anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So Paul slips in another issue. So the issue has been about food. Now he drinks. he talks about drinking wine. A secondary issue. This must have been something that was going on. Should, should Jesus' followers drink or not? I talked about that last week. Some do, some don't. And you might feel free and like free in Jesus to enjoy that. And that's okay, except when I don't act out of love. And so it's very unloving to flaunt your freedom when it's a real matter of of conscience to someone else. Why? I'm not just living for me. I'm living to please Jesus. I'm living for him. And to, to live for Jesus is to live for others. Because Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to do what? To serve and to give my 
life as a ransom for many. So Jesus models the right way to deal with primary and secondary issues. Jesus had no problem speaking the truth in love. And when the teaching of the day was off, he confronted it and said, you say, but now I say. And I and the Father are one, a.k.a. I'm pulling God on my side, and, and, and I'm right. But on the secondary issues, Jesus goes the way of love. All right, so we're almost to some practical application. Let's just read the rest of the chapter, verses 22 and 23. So, whatever you believe about these things, this is so good, keep between you and your Facebook page. <laughs> keep it. Keep it on your social media stream. No, keep between yourself and who? God. Wow. Don't make this the issue. Don't provoke. Blessed is the one, oh, it's so good, who doesn't condemn himself by what he approves. You could be in the right and still be proven wrong. And to flaunt, uh, talking Jesus follower to Jesus follower, to flaunt your freedom in the face of someone else is, is going to tear them down. And he says, that's just wrong. Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. So what he's saying is it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to have a conviction. So if this person has a conviction, you shouldn't drink wine. They shouldn't drink wine. You shouldn't eat meat from the marketplace. Why? It's not because of the quality of the meat. It had nothing to do with health. It had to do with the fact that that meat was probably brought to an idol and killed as a sacrifice. And then, because they didn't want to waste it, they brought it to the marketplace to sell. So I don't want to eat anything that's been in a foreign, in an idol idolatrous place, so I don't eat meat. If that's your conviction, for you, it's wrong. But if you say, well, I just eat everything with thanksgiving unto God, and that's the way of Jesus. Jesus has set me free. Then that's, it's okay. You're free to eat. So, verse 23 again, whoever has doubts is condemned to eat because the eating is not from faith. You see, it comes to conviction. What do I believe to be true? Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So what we're going to do is, when we have these real issues, big or small, we're going to learn the art of not just winning the argument by convincing them that they're wrong. And this is where I get into trouble. This, this was written not for you. This was written for me. Because to me, the only way to end an argument is when I win. That's and ask anyone that knows me. I think some who are smart just say, yeah, you're right, and then go off and do the opposite. You know, because I just know I'm going to win. So keep those matters. What does he say? Keep those matters between you and God. So you don't just choke it and push it down. It's a real, it's a real thing. So what you do is you talk to God about it rather than everyone else. He knows the heart, and he knows those that are acting out of their conviction based on what's true. Both of them had a Bible text to go on on this issue. So a lot of secondary matters are matters where the Bible gives some information, but not all information. I think, just throw it back to the gun control um, topic. Uh, you see weapons being used throughout the Bible, yes or no? You, you see it all the time. And you also see Jesus saying, put down your sword. So which text am I going to quote? Am I going to quote Judges? 
Am I going to quote Joshua? Am I going to quote Sermon on the Mount? So, so there matters where there, there's this truth there, but there is room for a variety of opinions, right? So what I want to do is live under a conviction, live under the word of God as I best I know how, and leave room for you to disagree and read the same text and come to a different conclusion. It's called growing to maturity. You know, it's, it's, it's like parenting. When you're parenting someone that's two or three years old, you realize their, their world is quite small, right? And so they have firm opinions out of ignorance, right? Like everything is mine. Everything. Why? It's mine. It's mine. It, it, it's the default mode is mine. And it takes time for them to go to maturity to say, well, actually, mom, dad, everything belongs to you. They never get that conviction, ever. <laughs> but, but maturity says it, it belongs to you. And then, and then real maturity is it belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The stage, everything belongs to God. And God gives, and God gives different people for a reason. So everything I have belongs to him. And the, the secret to fruitfulness in life is realizing whatever God has given me belongs actually to someone else through me. So what can I do to use God's stuff for the good of everyone? Okay, so we see that the spectrum. But I'm going to recognize as a, as a Jesus follower, we're at different levels of growth and maturity and understanding. So I'm not going to make it the main thing. So here's what I want to do in our remaining time before we go to worship. I want to start a conversation on the how. Okay, you're going to have a conflict with someone today because it's just the way life works, right? How do I begin to take the steps? What do we do? I read a very helpful book um, called Resolve Conflict God's Way, The Skills You Need to Make Peace by Dr. Bill Grable. He happens to be a pastor in Oregon He's been a pastor for 40 years, but he did his doctorate and has a consulting company uh, in business conflict management. And what he's realized as a pastor as a, and as a consultant is that what stops a lot of us from moving forward is skills in conflict management. So I kind of stole a lot of his good stuff so you wouldn't have to read the whole book. Hey, lucky you. And so a lot of these ideas are from the Bible, but through his, his filter and through his pen. So we're going to use an acronym. We're going to hit the first two today, and after Easter, we'll hit the third. AIM, A-I-M, kind of like, no, not guns. AIM, right? So we want to aim for peace. So it's an acronym, A-I, and then M. We'll look at the first two, and again, we'll pick it up after Easter. One response to conflict is to attack. So in order to, to take this issue, not make it the primary issue, my response to what you say or believe is important. So for some people, the first thing you do when you have a disagreement is to do what? Attack. Like it's the sports analogy, the best defense is a strong offense, right? Like just keep scoring points, win, win, win. Now one of the challenging uh, aspects of, of coming with this approach to any challenge and you know, being on the I've got to win is you're looking for a situation that's win-lose. In other words, in order for this agreement, for this disagreement to be settled, someone must win, someone must lose. Someone says, don't eat me. The other person says, eat me. Someone's got to win the argument. And unfortunately, that's probably not the best filter and isn't the most, most times at least, reality. 
What I want to do and look for whenever I have a disagreement with someone is a win-win situation. And it is possible almost, almost all the time to find a win-win. Look at verse 13 again. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. Uh, uh, an unhealthy approach to conflict is to go into attack mode. I'll be the first to say, I attack first and think later. This is my default mode. But knowing that is helpful. Now maturity has to happen in my world and it's growing increasingly little by little to take what I know and actually not go into my default mode. Because if you have a default mode, you're gonna go there. But once you recognize, wow, I am on the offense, I'm on the attack, uh, that's not going to be a healthy way to resolve that conflict. So how do we move forward and not fall into or slip into attack? We remember James 4. James 4, 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from, this is interesting, not the other person, from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. So you kill. Okay, which is kind of extreme. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives and this little disclaimer, so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You, 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 you. What causes quarrels and fighting among you? He says to the whole group, start with you. Unfulfilled desires. Why when someone disagrees with me, do I go into attack mode? It's because I'm responding out of my unfulfilled desires. I want what I want. So what does James say? This is so helpful and simple. Before I think about what I'm going to do to you or say to you, first, I bring my response, whatever that is, my desire to God. Bring it to God first. Why? I normally assume, and maybe I'm not alone on this, I normally assume my desires are good. Why? They're mine, right? Why would I have desires that aren't good for me? And so James reminds us, the brother of Jesus, that we get in trouble when one person says, I have these unfulfilled desires and I need them to be filled. And the other person has conflicting desires, I need them to be filled. When those two people go to each other, it's going to be a clash. What would happen if in the church first separately, we brought our desires to God to evaluate our desires. And what he says is, um, by the way, you don't have because you don't bring them to God. And oh, by the way, sometimes when you bring them to God, you actually just want extra cash that you can spend on yourself. He's talking about the motive of the heart. Can we just grow into maturity enough where we would admit sometimes it's my desire that's wrong, so forget the issue for a second. When my desire is off, no matter what the issue is, if I just want to fulfill my need, I'm willing to do it at your expense. But the way of Jesus is, Jesus says, I and the Father are, are one. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. And so you could say rightly that, that Jesus brought every desire to the Father. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus is going to the cross, 
We're going to celebrate it this Good Friday and into Sunday. Father, if there's any way, I'd like to avoid that cross. I'm paraphrasing. But not my will, not my desire. Your desire. And the Father says to the Son, we don't get the words, but we know by what Jesus did, no, there's no other way. This isn't the way. So we can learn to bring our desires to God first, which is dangerous because God will often say, you're the problem. So it's, I'm, not, I'm not saying like this, it's easy, just bring it to God. But if you're honest, and you, if I as a Jesus follower bring this to God, and you as a Jesus follower bring this to God, then maybe God can reshape my attitude. When my attitude is adjusted, I'm probably in a better place to actually have a discussion about secondary matters, and I'm going to look for the win-win. I'm not going to look just to take you out, although that's my default mode. So instead of attacking, I, I can go to God in prayer. Can I just say this? Prayer is not a cop-out. Prayer is not like, well, I don't know what else to do. I guess I might as well just pray. Prayer is the weapon that can defeat the enemy's schemes that wants to steal, kill, and destroy and divide us. Because if the enemy can bring division in us and we're not united in heart and mind, then God's love is going to be held back because I'm going to be cross-armed and I'm going to be mad at you. And, and the Bible does say sometimes we don't get answers to our prayers because of our conflict with other people. It stops the flow of God's love. And so prayer is not a cop-out. It's not a waste of time. It's not a weakness. It's our greatest strength. So this week when you have that issue, first bring that to God. Okay, that's, that's the first like response when, when we have a conflict. The second is the I. Another response of conflict is to ignore it. Now, I think many of us are not the attack mode people. It's usually definitely a type A personality is going to go into attack. But, but I think this is probably the most common of responses. Everything's okay. What's the problem? It's called denial. It just doesn't exist. Oh, it's going to go away with time. Oh, don't worry. Like, just give it a little more time. Well, sometimes it's helpful, but that's called deception. Self-deception says it's not really an issue, and a little time, a little water under the bridge. Actually, often it gets more sour in time and more deeply centered. Or, or this is another one. Hey, God just told me it's time to move on. It's time to move on. It's called flight. There are all sorts of ways that we ignore the issue. Rather than attacking, we, it's just safer if we just, like, avoid it. Ever been in that room and there's like not an elephant but a herd of elephants that are just like stomping all over and then you leave and say, wow, wasn't that great? No, it was not great. Everyone pretended. And this is, this is a real issue. Look at verse 19 and 20 of Romans 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification or mutual building up? Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Make every effort is a command. We're commanded. We're, we're told this is what mature Jesus followers do. We don't ignore issues. We don't attack. We don't ignore. We want to work towards peace, which means we're going to need to be intentional about it. And for some, that's going to require 
God's courage. Someone say like, well, Jose, that sounds great. You know, from a stage, you got a microphone. Um, it's easy for you to talk about issues. You don't understand how awkward it is right now. This is why God is filled with righteousness and joy and peace. He, it's not like your call to fix conflict, which would be very discouraging, because I think we have like thousands of years of human history that would basically tell us we're failures. We just, we, on, on the world scale, on the global scale, can we go one year without a war somewhere? I don't even know, interesting little Google search, has there been a year in the last 100 where there's been no conflict around the world? My guess is no. My guess is there's been conflict on multiple fronts every year somewhere around the world. So we're not good at it naturally, but this is where Jesus makes a difference. If you have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's right and the Holy Spirit's filled with joy and peace, then you and I as Jesus followers, we can find a resolution and we can find some way for there to be a win-win and not a me-win and you lose. Look at Jesus' wisdom, Matthew 5, write it down. Matthew 5, just brilliant wisdom. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, ignore it. Keep on worshiping. Who cares, right? That's not what it says. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Now, we don't have this kind of system, but it's, it's called when you come into worship, stop, go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. See, part of following Jesus is having a life of worship. So what we're doing here really matters. It's not a waste of time. This isn't just some ritual. Your worship to Jesus matters, not just on Sunday, but every day. You're coming to God and learning from him and growing and confessing sin and receiving grace. This is important stuff. But Jesus says, if you're in the middle of coming and enjoying my presence and you're clashing with someone else, here's wisdom. Don't avoid it. Don't ignore it. Don't attack. Leave your gift here. This is important. Come back. But go and make peace with that person. We, we have to be a people that grow in not ignoring the elephants in the room, but finding loving ways to get at the issue and the issue behind the issue and being a people of peace. So the first thing we do is we stop and we, we, we do address the situation. And I think it's just a word, a word from God for some of us here. It's time to, to stop ignoring the fact that it happened and it's out there and it hasn't been dealt with. And in Jesus' name, what you can do with God's help and maybe the help of some other people, you can bring that into the light and find ways to make peace. Okay, so, so attack mode is one, and then ignoring it is another. The third one is our goal, and we'll pick up on this in a couple of weeks. A healthy response to conflict is to, is to manage it. So aim, attack, ignore, or, or manage it. What, what do I mean by that? Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life, this is in the New Living Translation, of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you're going to please God and others will approve of you too. Verse 19, New Living Translation. So then 
let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart for the, uh, the work of God over what you eat. I use the word manage on purpose. For one, it makes for the acronym. Otherwise, I'd be in trouble, right? Um, uh, but, but manage is a good word because it gives room that there are times when we're, we're not going to fully resolve it for whatever reason. And there have been many times, and we're coming up on our, our six-year birthday as a church, and I've learned a lot, a lot, a lot, and there have been some conversations that have been hard, and people have come in and said, hey, this is an issue, and, and I want to bring it up, great, and we talk about it, and we read the Bible about it, and we pray about it, and we talk to one another about it, and, and then they're gone for whatever reason. No matter, like, we try to work out differences, but for whatever reason, on my side or on their side, they're, they're no longer here. And then I've been on the other side where, especially when it comes to marriage relationships, couples come in and we're talking like, wow, Lord, this is going to take a miracle. Just hearing both sides like, and then watching the miracle unfold. And over the next few weeks and months and in a few years, seeing this husband and wife still in this church and worshiping together and loving one another and growing in grace and thinking like, wow, I, I would have checked that off as like not going to work. And yet God in his grace did it. So, so it is possible to manage our response and work towards peace. But I also have to be realistic to know that I can't resolve every issue, especially if the person refuses to come together and refuses to listen. I can't. I, I can't control everyone and every environment, even though I want to by nature, but I can manage my response. So if that person does leave or does stay unsettled, I cannot gossip. I could choose to not speak a word. I could speak well of them. I can bless. I can care. I can go out of my way to be loving and not vindictive. I can control and I can manage my response. Okay, so... So don't attack, I don't ignore, but we manage. So how do we actually work that out? I started to put it all today and realized it is spring break. And, and we, we're not going to be here for an hour and a half. So we just cut this into next week is Easter, Jesus is risen, hallelujah. We're going to do that, invite as many as you can. And, and next week we'll be just focused on the cross and the resurrection. And we'll be inviting people to experience life in him. And then the week after... We're going to come back, and as we continue in, in Romans, we're also going to look at Matthew 18. So if you're interested in looking at what God says about managing our conflict, just read Matthew 18 and see what the Holy Spirit says to you, and we'll tease that out in two weeks. All right, so for now, let's just, we're talking about our initial response. Matthew 18 is going to drive us on what we do to work through once I come in the right way. When I come with the objective of making peace, when I come with the objective of finding a win-win, when I come with the objective of not making this issue the dividing issue, then, then what, what can I do? We can evaluate ourselves right now. So here's what we're going to do in response to worship. Are you in attack mode right now? Think, think of that colleague. Think of that family member. Think of the person in your community. Are you... Are you in default mode for whatever reason 
And often it's just because patterns that we're used to are patterns that we walk through. Are you, are you pointing fingers? Are you shifting the blame? Are you trying to win no matter what the cost to the person? And this is, this is why I look back and think, wow, that was really infantile. I have won arguments and lost the closeness of friendship. And then I think, what did I really win looking back? So are we in attack mode? Um, or, like I think probably too many, are we just ignoring the issue, hoping it's going to go away, pretending it's not there, give it a little more time, and, and we're not dealing with Can I just say, for, for those of us in either camp, there's grace. There's great. The grace of God is here for us. The grace of God is here for you. This is the good news. This is why Jesus died and rose again. Not just to take us to heaven to be with him someday, which is a great truth that I absolutely am enjoying. When I leave this earth, whether I die or Jesus returns, I'm going to be with the Lord forever. And that's the good news. And so I don't want to shortchange that at all. But I believe that Jesus came to do more than that. He came to bring his presence and his peace in the middle of this life, not just at the end. And so can we just say, we need the gospel, we need the good news, and we need to come to Jesus in faith and trust about every issue, knowing that he can change my heart. So I'm not going to pray today about the person that I'm in conflict with, although it's okay to pray for them. I want to pray for myself that God would deal with me. Why do we have fights and quarrels among you, James says? It's because of your desires. So let's just start with us. And what can we do? We can move closer. We can move closer to Jesus on this issue. Yes, he's here and yes, he's with us. But I can move closer to his heart. I can move closer to his mind. This is why worship is such a beautiful thing. When I ask God to, to take his presence and make it real in my world. What, what is worship about? It's about encountering the presence of God. In the presence of God, I can see him more clearly for who he is. I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about living in God's presence. When I'm living in God's presence, I begin to see his ways and I can honestly begin to think his thoughts. Why? Because he's made them known. I know them, but I choose my opinion over his every day. But I could, be, I could begin to take God's thoughts and they could become formed as my thoughts. And then I could do my, my own repenting and my own healing so that I'm ready to respond in a way to manage this conflict rather than bringing more heat and more gas and, and more fuel to the fire. So let's just ask God to, to deal with us, okay? Can we start there? All right, I want you to think of, because I'm going to dare say 90% of us have some sort of issue with someone else about something. It could be big, could be small. Most of us do. So if you have that in mind, let's now invite the Holy Spirit to soften us and hopefully bring some correction. Maybe God's going to affirm you're doing what's right. Just pray because they're not ready to hear anything. Just pray God's peace. Pray God's blessing over them. He may say, you're like 50-50. This part, you're in the right, but what about that desire? 
That's not from me. Let's let the loving Father change us because when he changes us, the situation will change, all right? Let's stand and let's respond. Lord, we confess this morning um, that there are things that just aren't right and we confess this morning that we've ignored it, we've pretended, we've shifted blame at times, we've accused, we've been arrogant. Lord, uh, you know our heart and, and in the end, we don't, want, we don't want anything to stop the good work when your kingdom is about righteousness and joy and peace in the presence of your spirit. We don't want anything to, to shake that, and yet it's happening. So, Spirit of God, would you start with us this morning? And as we sing and release our heart, our emotions, our thoughts, as we speak words that are true, together, will you create in us a clean heart, purify our heart, uh, discern even our thoughts so that we can become the people that are more like you, Jesus, and, and see peace rule in your church, we pray in Jesus' name.